Good morning. My name is Emily Bell, and I am on the leadership team, and I'm also a co-leader of a group called The Walk. And uh, Sheldon gave me the longest possible passage, so I'm going to just go ahead and preach this this morning. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> okay, it's from Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. I didn't know what to preach today, so I thought, well, I'll just give her a long passage to read, and then we can, uh, we can figure it out from there. I just want to let you guys know that in a few weeks, we are going to be having a Baptism Sunday, and if you'd like to sign up for that, you can do that on the app. Um, you can sign up today. Uh, next week, you'll be able to have the last week to sign up, but if you let us know, it'll be good. We're going to have a short class uh, after next Sunday morning services, uh, probably about 15 or 20 minutes right here in the worship center, uh, just to kind of talk to those that are going to be making this commitment on, uh, on October 2nd. So if you have been thinking about that and want to sign up, please go ahead and do that uh, today. It'll be, it'll be good for you to do that. So I want to ask us, uh, us a question, which I know is kind of a tough question or a, a difficult question maybe to answer. If I asked you today, what is your favorite movie? Okay, you got to think about that for, for a second because there's so many to choose from. Or what's your favorite show? Now, I, there, there's always somebody who you know, says, well, I'm more of a reader than a TV watcher, um, and there's no place for those people at this church, I'm just going to tell you right now, because um, we are a TV-watching church. Uh, can I get an amen on that? You know what I mean, yes. Okay. Um, but, but the reality is, if you think about favorite movies, it's so hard to just choose one. And you say, well, can I pick one from each genre? You say, okay, well, I, I like a, a film, maybe you like westerns that kind of tell a story uh, about a time that's not now. Or maybe you like sci-fi that, that tells of, of a future that, that kind of dreams, hey, this is what it could be like in the future. Uh, maybe you like rom-coms or romance movies and, and those sort of represent maybe some wish fulfillment. Hey, one day I wish this would happen to me. Or maybe you like to get in touch with your baser instincts and, and, uh, and, and watch kind of horror films and, and be afraid or be scared and, and, you know, looking around the house after you hear those things. Or, or true crime 
or detective shows or whatever it might be, we all like to watch different things. And the reason for that is simple. We all love a good story. I've never met one person that says, I hate stories. I remember when we were kids growing up and we would have Christmas. We would have sort of Christmas Eve at our own homes, Christmas morning at our own homes. Then all of our family would gather together. My mom was one of six kids. And so there were 19 cousins and about that many, you know, there was 19 grandchildren and 19 great-grandchildren. There was a lot of us. And we would go to a house and we would, we would have a blast. But then by the end of the day, we would usually sit down and my grandparents would be there and all my mom and her siblings, they would be around. And then they would start remembering things together. Remember this person. Remember when we did this. Remember when we did that. And I remember as a child feeling just absolutely enamored by imagining my kids, uh, my, my parents as younger kids. Um, it's, it's something that we love. And we always know when stories are coming, well, because we use language that dictates that, right? We say, once upon a time, and we know that that means, hey, a story's coming. Or, in a land far away, you know. Um, it, we love to tell stories, and, and it's part of our culture. Uh, even, even the video that we're watching, it invites people to tell the story. It reminds us to remember, even memories are often tied to stories. Now, I'm going to tell, uh, tell you a lot of stories today because that's what we're talking about. Um, my kids will often say, Dad, tell me a story. Now, a lot of times that was just to delay bedtime, right? Uh, tell, can you tell me a story? But w- there, there was some, something that happened uh, several years ago where I guess I'm a pretty good storyteller, and I get that. My mom is a good storyteller. My mom's dad used to be a really good storyteller, and so maybe that, that kind of makes me adequate with what the profession that I've chosen because in order to preach well, you have to be a good storyteller, right? Um, so we, we go out as a family, and sometimes we'll go camping, and we'll go for a hike together. Now, our youngest is, uh, our oldest, Ella, is built more like, like her mom, and she sort of dances on the shadows as we go, and our youngest is built more like, her dad, which is good and bad as well, I suppose. Uh, she's a little, you know, she's a little shorter. And she named herself, whenever we go on these hikes, she named herself either Tiny Boots or Tiny Legs. And she'll use things, like we're halfway through the hike, and inevitably she'll say, oh, Tiny Legs is tired. <laughs> tiny Boots is having a hard time today, okay? And, and she explained to us, well, every step you take takes me about three, so I've walked three times as far as you in the midst of this. And if you've ever had kids on a hike that get tired and hungry, you know what a delightful experience that suddenly becomes, right? Well, one of the things that we did on one of our hikes, and I'm not quite sure how it came about, but I remember we were, we, we were hiking uh, um, on a beautiful trail, and we had kind of had this discussion that she was tired, that Emery was tired. And I said, well, why don't I tell you a story? And she said, okay. Now, if you know anything about Emery, he, you know, he's just just like this. He loves a good story. This, the details matter. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just say, once upon a time, it was, a, okay, what day of the week was it? Was it a Tuesday or a Wednesday? Okay, it was a morning, afternoon. You know, you've got to go into detail. And so I, I, any story that I tell on the hike lasts at least 45 minutes to an hour. They're long stories. And the story of the chipmunk who got separated from his family during an avalanche and somehow decided that he was going to go on this great quest to go and find his family again. And so he made a backpack out of a pine cone, which makes a lot of sense because you can stuff a lot of things in there. And al- along the way, he met a moose and a hare and a duck and, uh, you know, all these kinds of things. And we tell this story, um, and stories make the time go by and make the complaining stop. But the reality is, is there. We love a good story, and it engages us 
and makes us forget what really is going on in our lives. Maybe the question we ask is, why do we love good stories? Well, because a lot of times, stories help us articulate where we are when we can't fully share. What stories do we love? We love stories that resonate with where we are in our lives. So you can ask why, but you can also ask what. What stories do we gravitate towards? I guarantee you, if you look at the threads, this is why it's not hard for these companies to give you suggestions about what to watch because they know what kinds of things you love and what kinds of things you gravitate towards. The one thing that's very interesting that science in some form of survey and other things has kind of proven is that actually, you know, while we're young, we like sort of the Disney endings of stories. We like everything buttoned up and everything neat and everybody lives happily ever after. We like that. But as we grow a little older, we stop liking those stories. And the reason why we stop liking those stories is because we realize that they're not rooted in reality. In fact, science has shown that the stories that we love the most, the stories that stick with us, usually involve some sort of loss or some sort of conflict. If you think about the movie Titanic, and I know it's been, it came out in what, 97, 98, somewhere around there, right? At the end of the movie, what makes the movie stick with us is the fact that Jack died. Do we want him to die? No. Do we want them to live happily ever after? Yes. But the reason why that story sold people is because it was real. It had some reality to it that was like, yes, everything kind of worked out for, for some people, but for others, we love the stories that have a sense of loss. And if you go back through the narratives, the movies that probably stick with you the absolute most are the ones that the, the good people don't always win, that nothing's always buttoned up. They usually involve some sort of loss. Something interesting about that, wouldn't you say? This is why when we read Scripture, we understand the power of narrative. Narrative is a nice way of saying something that looks like a story. That's why if, you're, if you've never read the Bible before, Genesis is a great book to start with because it's all filled with narratives. So start with Genesis or start with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because they tell stories. And they help us to kind of visualize and see what a world could look like. And that's why when we read the Bible, by the time you get to Chronicles and you read people's names, we're so over it, we want another good story. Because that's what we respond to, that's what, that's what teaches us. One, one of my favorite stories, there's so many good stories in the Bible, but I love sometimes the way that, that, that the drama builds and, and the way that the stories interact with each other. I'll give you an example. So, um, so there's a story of, of, of Isaac, which we're going to talk about today. That was the text that, that she read. But I want to tell you some of the next story, right? So Isaac, Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau, and they're always fighting. Actually, Esau's the oldest. But then there's this moment where, you know, Esau sells his birthright to Jacob, who kind of manipulates him out of it. And, uh, and then Esau wants to kill him, so he has to run away. And he meets this guy named Laban. And Laban has two daughters, Rachel, who is really good looking, and Leah, who has a great personality. Okay? And <laughs> see, everybody knows what that means because you, you listen to the story. But, but, but the reality is, the reality is, so Jacob falls in love with Rachel, and he's like, oh, I want to marry her. And Laban says, sure. And they have this big wedding, and it's fantastic. And it's just a wonderful celebration, and everybody's super happy and having a great time. And then, and, and, and then there's sort of this, this 
slow fading with the morning after the wedding. And Jacob gets out of bed and he walks over to the bathroom and he splashes some water on his face. He looks into the mirror and he thinks, wow, can life get, get any better than this? Then he makes his way back into, into the bedroom. And there she sits on the end of the bed, her hair cascading down her back. And then she turns her head. And the Bible says, and there was Isaac. Chapter 26. It's a great story. It's an awful story. But it's a great story, right? And we love those stories. And if ever you look at at combinations, like today we're going to look at, at stories. There's always two sides to the story. Whether you're talking about Joseph and his brothers, or Ishmael and Isaac, which we're going to talk about today, or Jacob and Esau, or the prodigal son and the older brother, or even Jesus and his brothers. There's always this dichotomy, this conflict that exists between these two groups, and that's what makes for a great story. And this is why Jesus teaches in parables. This is primarily the way that Jesus does his teaching. He teaches in parables. Now I want to tell you, the greatest parable in the Bible is not one that Jesus teaches. Now you think, well, that doesn't sound right. Jesus got to be the best teacher of parables. I believe the best parable is actually in the Old Testament. Let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you another story, right? David becomes king after Saul. Saul's a bad king. David becomes king. David's family, or David's warriors, go off to war. David stays with his family. He's walking on the roof one night because he can't sleep, probably because he's not at war. It says he looks out over this kingdom that he has amassed or that he has made, and he sees a woman bathing. He likes what he sees. He asks, invites her to the palace. He sleeps with her. There is a pregnancy involved. The only problem is she's already married. And now David is living in this sinful world, and God calls Nathan, who happens to be a prophet, all that that means is a truth teller, and says, hey, I want you to go and confront David. And Nathan goes, come again? I want you to stand before a king and tell him he has done wrong. Uh, can I email him? No, you need to go and do it. So Nathan sits down and he says, how am I going to tell David what's happening? So guess what he does? He tells him this parable. There were two guys. One guy had lots of cows. I know it was sheep, but yeah, we're in Texas, so lots of cows. One guy had one that they kept kind of tied up by the house. They loved it. They gave it all the best scraps. But when this man that had a lot of cows and had a feedlot had guests over and wanted to do one of these, these big, you know, big cookouts for his friends. Instead of taking one of the cows at the feedlot, he goes and steals the one that's tied up to this man's house. That's all that they have. Their family loves it, kills that one, and feeds it to his guests. And David becomes enraged, the Bible says, and goes, this is so wrong. Who would do this? And Nathan, in a little whisper, taken what was not yours, and you've killed him. It says David becomes his own judge, jury, and executioner. It's a brilliant parable. But you see, parables are also echoes or shadows. They sort of allude to things. Parables are, are images 
and metaphors and lessons and warnings and sometimes confusions and teachings. They don't always make full sense. You've got to sit with them for a little while. Parables also don't solve everything. They don't give us the Disney ending of the story. Sometimes there is injustice in the story. And it's not the focus of the story. It's not the, the main point that we're supposed to focus on. And sometimes parables are hard for us to get around because we see injustice. But it's not the injustice that God sees. And there's a lesson in that. It teaches us about the way we see the world. And it teaches us about, about the way that God sees the world. That's why today as we continue on in this Galatians series, as we talk about life in the spirit, the text that Emily read today It talks about two covenants. Now, instead of saying old covenant and new covenant, it uses people and uses story to illustrate it to us. It talks about Sarah versus Hagar, and it talks about Isaac versus Ishmael. Now, we know the story, right? Sarah's old. She's not able to have children, but God promises her and says, you will have a child. At first, they laugh about it because they're really old. They're 80, they're 90. They're getting up there in years. They really are are ready to be grandparents or even great-grandparents. And God says, I'm going to give you a child. But it doesn't happen for a while because God's timing, you know, it just seems like it's taking too long. So, So Sarah and Abraham hatch a plan. Hey, I got this servant named Hagar. Why don't you just have a baby with her? Yeah, that's not a great idea, not just because it's a bad idea, but because there's some implications there of personhood. Let's violate this slave girl so we can have children. Something's wrong with that story, right? But it happens, and Ishmael is born, and God kind of has his words with Abraham and Sarah and says, hey, this was not right, this is not what I meant, and then gives them the child of the promise, and then what happens is, so now Abraham has two sons, Sarah has one, Hagar has the other, but Hagar and Sarah are sort of on opposite ends of the spectrum. And so Sarah tells Abraham, you need to send her away. Not only have we violated her by having a baby, but now you need to abdicate your responsibility and send this child away. That's the way I would see the story. That's not the way God sees the story. Do you think it was hard for Abraham to send one of his kids away? To never see her, never see him again? pretty sure that would be rough and yet that's not the point of the story and when paul references that story in galatians he's using these two people with all the injustices and complication and messiness of that story and he's showing that there is a difference between freedom and slavery represented with sarah and hagar he shows that there's a difference between god's acceptance and being shunned, which is still wrong. There's a difference between being children and being slaves. And Paul wants the church to hear it because they already know that story. And he wants them to see themselves as children of Sarah and not children of Hagar, even though there are some injustices in the story. This is why in Galatians uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 29, He says this, at that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit, talking about Ishmael versus Isaac. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son for the slave woman's 
son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. As I said before, parables don't solve everything. Because there's a lot of stuff in this story that we should probably sit with a little longer. What does God feel about slavery? Is this okay? Most of us would say no. Not in the sense that maybe it was understood 100 years ago, 400, three, whatever, you know. It's different. But there's still some other things here, and yet Paul uses this as an, an adequate example to show what God wants to do in the midst of it. We have to ask ourselves the question here, what is the greatest injustice in this text? Is it that she's a slave? No, the greatest injustice is this. Slaves do not share an inheritance, only children do. The injustice is this, that we become slaves. That Paul is saying, listen, God has done something so that that story doesn't need to be told in you. Forget about focusing on the wrong thing. God does not want you to be slaves, and you are. You're slaves to sin, you're slaves to the past, you're slaves to what you think you already know. And God is saying, I don't want that at all. I want you to be children. You know, if you read the, the pages of scripture, what you learn is this, God had to lose for us to become children. In order for Isaac to be the child of inheritance, Abraham had to shun Hagar and Ishmael. And that is not an easy feat, but it is no different than what God did through Jesus on the cross. God had to kill his own son to shun his own son to place the sin of the world on him so that we could be free. He allowed him, which is wrong and is filled with injustice, but God allowed it because of what he wanted for us. That's why when Paul is writing to the Galatians, he's saying, God has done all this, and you're choosing slavery. Why would anybody do that? Stop doing that. Realize what God has done. You see, when we think about it a little bit longer, this story, we start to realize that our adoption as children of God requires injustice and loss. it's not a fairy tale us having the ability to be God's family it's not a happily ever after but if you read the pages of scripture it says in order for us to be children God had to be unjust with himself he had to lose the thing that was most precious to him he had to send his own son away we can hear the echoes and the shadows past story in the story that Jesus tells. And that's why salvation and being saved is no small thing. That when we realize that we can move from being slaves to a world and slaves to sin to being children of God, our response should be gratitude and penitence and humility. That we should accept it over understanding it. Because the stories actually don't make sense. Why would God do this? Why would God allow this? So you can be 
that you could be saved, so that you could know him. allowing us to be a part of something that we don't deserve. And Father, maybe, maybe today we will have the realization that what you call us to is big and powerful and not always fair, but it's not unfair to us, it's unfair to Father, today we just thank you that you have done whatever you have needed to do to create a world that we get to be in relationship with you. May we, may we celebrate that. When we talk about what you've done, God, may they not just be empty words, may they be realizations of who we are. And Father, today I just pray that sometimes we, we, we focus on our own story and the unfair parts of our story and we miss kind of the unfair parts of your story. And may we just, may we just be able to focus on those today. If we, need, if we need a moment to pray, to be thankful, to start with gratitude, to say, thank you, Lord, that, that you were unfair to yourself so that you could be unfair to me, but in the best possible way. So, Father, today I just ask, I just pray, I just beg that we would, that we would see our story in the context of yours. May we take hold of what it means to be sons and daughters Father, we just thank you so much for what you have done. We pray this all in the name of